Hola, my name is Lucia Diaz. I'm the host of the Art or Representation podcast. The focus of this podcast is to make sure that Latinas see themselves in the world, feel represented and celebrated. I'm super excited to interview the, some of the most incredible Latina leaders within our community. Uh, we're gonna find out about their journey, how they got to where they are, and most importantly, how we can get there as so tune in. Hola, hola, hola. Welcome to another episode of The Art of Representation. I am here as your host, Lucia Diaz, with a beautiful queen of queens, my friend Jennifer. And I just wanted to make sure that I interview her because she's been um, fighting for a lot of mujeres in academia. And I just want to make sure that we highlight, celebrate, and represent her because she's just been killing it out there in the Instagram streets. So Jennifer, welcome. ¿Cómo estás? I love that you said the Instagram streets. <laughs> Thank you for having me, Lucia. I am doing great. I just got back from academic, academic conferences. So, and there's an academic conference starting tomorrow again. So, you know, busy, busy in academia, but happy to be here. Thank you so much, Jennifer. And for those that don't know who you are, can you give us like just a quick introduction of who you are? Yes. Yeah, so again, my name is Jennifer. I'm a first generation Latina, hija de inmigrantes from Sinaloa, Mexico. My parents immigrated to California, so we've been living in California in Los Angeles for the past, you know, life. And I am a first generation in a doctoral program. I'm currently pursuing a doctoral degree in sociology with an emphasis in Chicano Latino studies. And my research broadly focuses on the experiences of Latinas in higher ed and how to maximize our representation in academia and you know, just um, interviewing Latinas across the U.S. in terms of the academic support, the peer support, the familial support that we receive or lack thereof, and different um, programming or courses or, you know, things that will really increase the number of Latinas in doctoral programs specifically. That's incredible. That's amazing. And uh, first of all, I'm so proud of you, like so proud of all of just your journey itself. Like I have just seen you kind of blossom into a speaker at these conferences. Like I'm just so hella proud of you. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you for your time. And we'll jump into the first question. Uh, can you tell us about your personal journey as a Latina in academia? Um, what, what made you pursue higher education? Like what inspired you? And just give us kind of like a little backstory. On that, do you have anybody else in your family that pursued higher education? No, I don't actually. I think it was a dream of my mom's to be a teacher. Um, she got a an accounting degree in Mexico. It didn't transfer over to the U.S., but once she was here, she dedicated herself to being a stay-at-home mom. And so, you know, I feel like every time I, you know, pursue another degree, she's like extremely proud, and she's like, "Thank you so much. Like you're living my dream." You know, I'm, she was living her dream through me. Um, but I always knew I wanted to be an educator. When I was little, I used to say that I wanted to be a teacher, a doctor, a singer, and an actress. And it's so funny because now I'm like, those are completely different careers. Like, what do you mean you want to be all of those things? So growing up, I had amazing teachers. Um, I was raised in Boyle Heights, Los Angeles, and, you know, very low income neighborhood, but my teachers were dedicated. And they, you know, really pushed me and, and they saw a spark in me and, and they really encouraged me and motivated me to pursue higher education. However, their motivations and their encouragement was for a four-year university, right, for a bachelor's degree. 
which is great. I still think that it's amazing and I appreciate them and I'm so thankful for them for pushing me to that to that limit. And once I was in in higher education and undergrad, I knew that I wanted to be an educator and I thought that I wanted to be a preschool teacher. And I was, you know, in the child development department and I was taking all these classes and I worked in the children's center on campus and I didn't like it. <laughs> I didn't love it. It was fine. I just didn't feel that I was, I, I, I feel like I could give more, you know, and I felt like playing and eating cereal with the kids and, you know, playing kitchen with them. It, it just wasn't enough for me. And so I decided to, luckily the child development department in my university had uh, early childhood emphasis and an adolescent emphasis. So I switched over to the adolescents. I started TAing. I started doing internships with, um, you know, students that were my age. I started being a peer academic mentor. I worked in the department. I got so involved at the faculty administration level, uh, the mentorship, right? I started getting that perspective and I absolutely loved it. And so I decided that I wanted to be a professor. And unfortunately, I didn't prepare myself enough. I didn't know what grad school was. I didn't know that I had to go to grad school to be a professor. And my senior year, I was told about grad school and it was too late. I, I tried to prepare for the GRE, the graduate research entrance exam, and I didn't get a great score. Um, I remember I applied to UCLA and UCLA said, girl, try again next year, your scores are too low. Um, so I took a gap year, I ended up taking a gap year. I enrolled in community college. And you know, at this point I was like, I just need to prepare for grad school for next year because I knew I wanted to go. And I was taking research methods courses. I was taking a life management course. I was TAing. I founded a club. So I was still being super active in academia. It's always been my passion. And so once I finished that gap year, I reapplied to grad programs. I got accepted to two programs. And, you know, that's kind of when I, where I got in. And, and the journey hasn't been, you know, perfect. And, you know, you follow me on Instagram. You've seen that I, I did transition programs. So I did start in a program in 2018 a program in education, focus in education, and it didn't work out. I decided that it just, it wasn't fitting my needs, you know, and, and when you're in grad school, it's really important to make sure that you have a program that supports you academically, emotionally, mentally. And so I felt like I wasn't getting that. And I decided to leave. I decided to reapply to a new program. That transition in itself was extremely difficult, extremely challenging yeah. to navigate. Um, again, being the first in my family to pursue a doctoral degree, my family, you know, they were like, just stay, like, you're not going to waste, you know, you, you just basically wasted the past three years. And so it was challenging for all of us to, to really, you know, make, take that step and, and change programs. And so now in my new program, I've been here for a couple of years and I absolutely love it. I think that it was the best decision I could have made. I feel much more supported by my peers, by my colleagues, by my professors, and it's, it's a much better environment. And I feel like it's, it's building my identity as a future professor um, you know, to like the extremes, like as most as it possibly can. So I, I really love it, but it's been a tough, it's been a tough journey. Um, and like you said, like, I really just dedicate myself to, to sharing my journey with others and, and really guiding them and, and showing them, you know, the whole hidden curriculum, what we're not taught in grad school, because while the grad program is great for me, it's still not perfect. Like, I don't think any grad program is perfect. And so I'm all about sharing that knowledge, sharing those resources and, and encouraging others to, to, you know, continue to, to pave the way for others as well. That's amazing. That's incredible. I mean, uh, there's a lot to unpack there as someone that didn't pursue a PhD or master's program. I was intimidated. Like I had a lot of professors telling me you should go get a master's, you should get a master's. 
at the time, I just couldn't afford to do it. I couldn't go. I, I had to kind of pay back my loans. And, you know, my brother was coming up as well. And he was able to go and get his master's in anthropology. Um, but even not understanding enough to kind of help him in his journey for his master's, it's just, it's hard. Because I was the first in my family to go to college. And the expectations are are rough. Like, they, they want you to have, like, perfect grades, a perfect smooth sailing. But here, you know, at least in my back end of, of my bachelor's, I was working three jobs. Um, I was trying to put food on the table while still doing a full time um, just courses and everything. So I 100, a million percent like understand when you talk about like the journey has been rough, but you sharing it through Academic Latina, I feel like has inspired so many different, not just, you know, me, but so many other Latinas to even consider you know, maybe in the future, going and doing a master's, doing a PhD program. And I think that's kind of like the main reason I was attracted to your account. Because even though like I am not a PhD student, I'm an entrepreneur, a lot of the things that you share, I resonate with. Like, I feel like I see when you talk about just even your commute in LA, like I just, I feel like oh, the struggle, the struggle <laughs> is real when you're, you know, trying your best to do everything that you can to make your family proud but at the same time like it's a completely different world that they don't understand that they don't um that they can't really help you with so i just want to say thank you for being a mentor for being a leader for being fierce for being incredible and it's okay to pivot like i think the biggest thing for me like working in corporate at like a fortune 500 company as an art director i realized that that just wasn't the life that i needed to have like I wanted something bigger for my life and I wasn't going to achieve that in corporate um and so now like there's so many different things I'm I'm working on and and striving for and I feel like my parents finally kind of understand where where this crazy artist uh mind is going but uh with that I wanted to kind of touch on how you got started with Academic Latina on Instagram how did you like what do you hope to achieve with that community and um, and and how has it been the last couple of years just seeing that support from the community as well? Yeah, that's a good that's a really good point, that last one, because I created Academic Latina back in 2019. And it was at a time where I was feeling really conflicted in my PhD program. I was feeling like I didn't fit in. I was feeling like it was extremely difficult for me. Um, perhaps it wasn't for me. And I decided to do a study, right, for one of my classes, my milestone requirements. I decided to do a study where I interviewed Latinas and I asked them about their journeys, right? Mm -hmm. And I saw there was so much overlap in our struggles. There was so much overlap in my family doesn't understand what I'm doing. There was so much overlap in, um, you know, my advisors don't understand that I have to be with my family or, you know, I'm the only Latina in my program. And so there was so much overlap in that. And these women that I interviewed, they were part of a Facebook group for Latinas in doctoral programs. And I felt part of the questions that I asked were about the program and the space. And, and a lot of them shared how impactful it was to be in that space, right? To have that support, to not know these women personally, but to be able to ask like, hey, how do I write a diversity statement for the job market? Or how do I write a CV? Or I'm going into the job market and I have interviews. What do you guys recommend? And, you know, there's all these women supporting each other on that space. And I thought, you know what, like this isn't on Instagram, but most of us are on Instagram now. And so that was back in 2019. There was very few academic pages. I remember Academic Mommy was one of them. 
she's a professor here in California. And then Latina grad guide was another one, another PhD student here in Southern California. And those are the only ones that I could find really, at least for Latina representation. And I decided to create my page and it started off as a resource, right? It started off as here's what a GRE is. Here is what a gap year is. And it started, it started off very factual and, you know, it was growing uh, along and I felt as I started sharing more of like, oh, spending the weekend with my family or traveling to Mexico to visit my grandparents or dedicating my degree to my grandparents, like being bringing more of that personal, that personal part of myself, it really like attracted so many people. Like the page started growing a lot more. Um, the audience was like, you know, like you like resonated with what I was posting and it kind of gave it a different lens of like, yes, I'm a grad student. Yes, this is what a GRE is, but this is how I'm studying for my GRE while I'm still hanging out with my family on the weekends, you know? And so showing that balance and, and really demonstrating that it's possible to, to have a academic life, but also a social life and, and you know, be strength, strong still with family and, and, you know, partners and I'm a dog mom and having that, all those responsibilities besides academia. Um, and so the community started growing into not just a one way where I was just giving information, but a lot of women, like I would post, um, you know, about my decision to switch programs. And I received so much support as well. So many DMs, so much encouragement, um, you know, so many like you got this, we're rooting for you. Like we believe in you and we're so proud of you. And it was and like we that. are so proud of you, by the way. We are so damn proud of you. So, of course. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And so it was that like mutual connection and that mutual comunidad that I, I, I really, I love it. Like I really embrace it. And I think that it's, it's a part of me now. And at the beginning when, when people would recognize me in the streets, right. And they're like, oh my God, are you academic Latina? <laughs> like I would get so shy and I would be like, oh uh, yeah. <laughs> um, and then now like I feel like I'm so proud of it because I feel like I, I built this community and like, I am like the face of it, right? I represent it. And so this past conference that I went to, I, a bunch of people came up to me and I was just so happy to meet them. And, you know, so happy that they came up to me in person because, you know, we're transferring those friendships from online to like offline and, and having that network and having those relationships. And I, I just think it's a beautiful space to be in. And, and in the future, I really see it developing into, you know, not just, I, I see myself continuing to share my journey, right? I want to be a professor full time and I continue to share the, those teaching experiences now. And I plan to continue to show my experience with the job market, you know, the hiring process and all of that and, and how it is to be a professor and in, you know, a Cal State or a UC or whatever I go into. And I, you know, part of me wants to continue doing that. And a part of me also wants to bring it to like online in-person things as well. So like continuing to host dinners with Latinas or brunches or writing groups or a writing retreat or, you know, funding for scholarships. And, you know, I have my Etsy with my stickers. And so maybe perhaps using those funds for like future scholarships. So a lot of it, I mean, the end goal is for it to really just benefit Latinas as much as possible, right? For them to get as much help from it, as many resources from it as they can. And just giving anything that I can to them is really what I what I really wish to do with that page. I love it. I mean, um, again, I'm super proud of you. And when I, you know, when I see you go to Mexico, it just reminds me of when I go to Colombia and I, I'm with my family and we're drinking aguardiente, we're having fun, we're partying. And it's like, you can have both types, like you can be in academia and you can also have a social life. Like, I love that you're super real about the struggles that you go through because a lot of Instagram isn't, isn't real. It's a lot of like highlight reels from other people. So 
Um, and I love that you talked about your experience with your last conference um, because I had the same thing. Uh, people were just coming up to me and like, hey, Lucia, hey, I follow you on Twitter. I'm like, hello, like, how are you? But it's really cool to like sit down and talk to them. I'm like, what are you working on? What are you doing? How can I help you? Like, how can I be of service? And I think the biggest thing also that I, I get from like your, your kind of like looking forward is you not only are you helping Latinas indirectly, like not just one-on-one, but you're helping them see themselves in academia. And I think that's like one of the most important things to see more women, especially mujeres Latinas in these positions and, and see them succeed and see them grow and see them be speakers at conferences. Like, again, congratulations on that. Um, and I kind of want to jump, you know, dive into that, dig into that. How was it that you landed this speaking engagement? And also, how did you prepare for it, like mentally, physically? Because I, I, I was when I did my presentation last week, I was super nervous. But when I saw in the crowd all the Latinas that showed up for my presentation, that kind of gave me that push and that energy to like deliver. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the the speaking engagement that I did was a a conference uh, submission, right? So I had yeah. proposed to talk about Instagram. I had proposed to talk about academic Instagram, how Instagram is a community for all of us. And so it got accepted, which I was like super excited for. And, you know, I, it was so, I feel like the whole facilitating the Instagram, managing the Instagram, right? I'm a one person team, right? I do the posts, I do the videos, I do everything, reply to the DMs. And so doing that on the daily, like it was so, it felt so natural to me to create a presentation on it, mm-hmm. to teach other people on like, you know, the logistics of like, this is what a story looks like. And this is what you do because the, obviously like academia is so old <laughs> and it has a lot of the, <laughs> a lot of the audiences, older, you know, people. And so the presentation was a lot of like teaching them what Instagram was in the first place and then showing them what the posts looked like, showing them how the engagement worked, um, showing them the types of DMs that I get and, and, you know, it was fun. It was fun to teach that. And the day of, um, I remember I was extremely nervous. I was extremely nervous. One, it was my first time presenting on Instagram. Two, it was my first oral presentation at a conference. I had just done like other minor presentations um, with like much smaller audiences. And so as the room like began to fill up, I was like drinking a way too much water. I was like, I need to stop drinking water because I'm going to have to step out into the restroom. Um, but I was so nervous and it was a really big room. It was like, I think it was meant to be two rooms and there was like a divider in the middle and they like opened that. So it was huge. And um, I, you know, at the beginning I was a little nervous because it was like 10 minutes till and the room was kind of empty. And then, you know, after that people started walking in and, a lot of the people walking in were like, hey, like, can we take a picture? Like, I follow you on Instagram. And I think that's what really helped me feel more comfortable because I was like, okay, like, they follow me on Instagram. They see when I'm talking about my struggles. They see, you know, when I, like, don't pass things. They they know me. Um, So, like, really, like, why am I going to be nervous about, like, being myself? Like, that's really who they have seen already, right? And so that really helped me feel a lot more comfortable and there was also faculty in the room who I had previously met with and I just seeing them there made me a little bit nervous but it also made me like super excited and super like feel valued and like feel like wow they really care about my research and they really care about what I'm here to talk about um and so you know the presentation I was a little nervous but 
I think it went great. I think that I, you know, I, I feel like I have always been pretty good with public speaking in terms of projecting my voice well in a large room. So I had no problem doing that. I had no problem speaking up. Um, I was also like engaging with them. I had a script and I would go off script occasionally because I was just like so into it. Like I, I really, you know, went into it. And at the end, it was just like, you know, the whole room was like applauding and, and cheering me. And it was just, it was really nice. And there, there was one question, um, which was like a good question. It wasn't like a, like a conflicting question but the rest were like comments of like this is amazing like thank you so much for doing this we follow your space our you know universities want to implement something similar how can we do it and so it was just it was a very inspiring place to be in and I walked out of there feeling so proud of myself so motivated to continue my research to continue working with academic Latina you know on academic Latina and it was just it was it was like a reassuring like a reassuring place to be in and I felt super appreciated and and like I said just it, it was nice it was nice to be in that space well congratulations and of course you killed it like I saw your stories and I was just like yes like if I could give you a standing ovation in the front or like embarrass you in the front say yeah, <laughs> I would have um, but I was also uh, working towards my um my speaking engagement and like I'm not I'm not like you at all Jennifer actually uh, growing up um, from like childhood to college, I was terrified of public speaking. And it wasn't until I started to do more like Instagram stories or inter- Instagram lives and also like Twitter spaces that I got comfortable with that. So I want to kind of ask you, how did you, what skills can Latinas develop for public speaking that have helped you or maybe tips and tricks that have helped you like before this presentation or for future presentations. Also, if colleges are coming up to you, you can also be a consultant, girl. Like they, they're asking you for work. Uh-huh. You, better, you better send them an invoice. But anyway, that's another story. We'll talk about a little bit more about that later. But yeah, give me a couple of like, I guess, um, tricks or not tricks, but like really like useful tips for anybody that wants to pursue public speaking that has never done it especially a latina that you know typically they tell us to stay calladitas so how how do we not stay calladitas and how do we actually come and 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 be authentically ourselves in a presentation yeah i think that it's a lot for me personally um i don't really feel like i was ever trained to be a public speaker Again, I feel like it just came from like high school presentations and my teachers were so encouraging. And I've always been really good at writing. And I feel that perhaps because I write well and because I've always been told, I've always done good in writing. Like math, count me out. (laughs) But English, I'm great. Um, And so for me, I, I, for like to prepare for things, even when I go on Instagram live or when I have, you know, questions that I'm going to re- respond to on my stories, it's a lot of um, writing down what it is that I'm going to say yeah. and preparing in that way. Right. And, and having that. And when I was, you know, I teach, I teach on Zoom and I have like my, my scripts too and, and my slides and, and my scripts sometimes I, as I'm preparing them and I'm preparing, right, to give this like public speaking for my classroom, 
I have a script on the side and I'm very much like I narrate exactly what I'm going to say. And I've talked to public speaking, you know, people about this and they're like, that's great because I, I literally include my fil my filler words as well. Like it's just as it would come out naturally. And this is just in case that I panic and I'm like, oh, shit, like I forgot what I'm going to say now. And I'm going to go into my script and it's going to come out naturally because I'm still talking to the camera. I'm still talking to the screen and I'm reading. But there's also filler words in there that are saying uh, where I'm like, like or yeah, or do you know what I mean? And stuff like that. And so I insert all of this in the script so that when I practice it, when I read it, it comes a lot more natural to me. And it, it just sticks to me a lot better than to having like main points. Um, I feel like with when I, when I, before when I used to prepare for public speaking and I would just do an outline, there was a lot of ums in there <laughs> because I was trying to think of like, okay, what the heck was I thinking when I wrote this? You know, like, what was I going to talk about when I wrote this? So really being descriptive and detailed and lengthy scripts and lengthy outlines really helped me to prepare and to, to like just memorize what it is that I'm going to talk about. I love it. I think that's such a great point. Um, at least for me, when last week I had cue cards with questions mm -hmm. for all my mm -hmm. panelists um, and I like I went heavy on stalking them on LinkedIn and Instagram to make sure I knew exactly what they were working on and tailor the questions to them. So I really love that you talked about making these long scripts that, you know, not just bullet points, but really like, you know, diving into what you are going to say and why you're saying it. And I think that's so important. That's why um, I think you you shine. When it are you ready for grad season? So am I, I'm so excited. Uh, my new Latina note card collection is coming out. And this is specifically to make sure that Latinas see themselves represented in the world. Latinas come in all shapes, sizes, ages, and hair types. So I wanna make sure that we properly celebrate all the Latinas that are graduating this year in your life. You can also get these for um, not just you know family and friends, but you can also customize it for your bestie. Um, for example, this one. So make sure to check out the new Latina grad note collection, note card collection. It is super affordable, amazing to be able to customize each card with your Latina's hairstyle. So please check it out. It's in. Uh, live in the shop. It's also up in my Etsy store. Public speaking and I mean, I could totally see you speaking on like a TEDx stage. Like I could see you speaking at, you know, even, you know, not just academic conferences, but also uh, international ones. So I just, I can't wait to see you, you know, your star keep rising. And um, I definitely, um, I'm probably going to send you the speaker page that I developed uh, with a friend of mine because I, People are starting to ask me to speak and I'm like, oh, okay, you need me to speak. I think the most important thing that I've learned is having a speaker sheet is kind of like a resume or a CV where you have mm -hmm. like the talking points of what you talk about. For example, your journey with Academic Latina on Instagram. Um, and that's something that I'll definitely um, put in the blog post for this episode. Uh, so, we, so we have it for everyone. And I just, again, thank you so much for those points because it really help me like walk through you know future speaking engagements what else i could do to prepare as a virgo because i'm you know i'm crazy <laughs> and i love to prepare for everything so <laughs> the next question i wanted to ask you um coming into your program how did you seek funding how did you apply to scholarships um where do you find these scholarships as well um just coming in 
to, you know, a PhD program because I know my brother had a hard time with his master's program, like trying to get scholarships. Mm -hmm. It was much easier for him to get scholarships for his bachelor's. Yeah. Yeah. So my doctoral program, well, in undergrad, I had I had scholarships as well which were like external mm-hmm. scholarships that I would apply to through programs that I had been in in, uh, in high school. And I just kind of continued with them to undergrad. Mm-hmm. But in my doctoral program, um, it was a, it's PhDs are mostly fully funded for the majority. And so my program was fully funded. So I didn't have to worry about like tuition costs or expenses okay. in any of that way. Um, but I did receive fellowship, a fellowship that I'm actually, it ends, I think this summer, um, a three-year fellowship and the way that I applied for it was or the way that I heard of it was I was encouraged through my own program like to apply for it it was a very popular if you will fellowship that a lot of grad students apply to in, in different fields and so that's how I heard of those but scholarships specifically um, oh and then with fellowships as well like the graduate division website offers a few different ones for it's pretty some of them are pretty similar to to scholarships in the sense that they target you know specific identity specific students and for scholarships, though, I have seeked them. Well, the ones that I have applied to and received have mostly been um, either recommended to me. I have found some on Instagram. Um, but again, I feel like the the pool is so large on Instagram. So it gets like a little bit complicated in that sense. But I have applied to some that I found on Instagram. And that's only because, again, I'm rounded in the academic space on Instagram. Like a bunch of the pages that I follow are academic. There are different universities, different community colleges, different, you know, um, colleges that have these programs that offer these scholarships. And that's how I hear of them. But otherwise, it's really just like something that I've been doing now is I see people post that they receive a fellowship, that they receive a scholarship. And I'm like... Hmm, what does that do for next year? You know, and I like write it down, and I'm like, because I had never heard of, of a few of them that I've seen on Instagram. People share, and I write them down, and I'm like, okay, I'll apply to this next year, or I'll apply to this in the next round. You know, and it, it, like again, Instagram is just so resourceful for me <laughs> because I'm always on there. Um, but it does get tough. My my partner is also in in higher education in a private institution, and the scholarships for them are like extremely difficult to get and I feel like they always direct you to like the larger scholarship pages where you like have to really dig deep to find one that you identify with or that you really qualify for which really just pushes you away from wanting to apply because it's so tedious to do that work on your own as opposed to having specific scholarships given to you Um, my program here my doctoral program actually has a person which I think all programs should have we have a person who is in charge of the fellowships and the scholarships. And what she does is she sends out a survey like every quarter and asks you like, okay, what is your research on? Are you a first gen? Are, do you identify as a woman, as a man, or you know, by, uh, binary, non-binary? And so she really asks you what the scholarships would be like looking for. Mm-hmm. And then she puts it onto an Excel sheet. And whenever she runs into scholarships that you would qualify for, you get an email and she's like, apply to this one. You would be great for this one. And she does that job for you. And that's like her job, right? It's her full-time job. Um, but I, again, it takes like a full-time job to be able to do these searches and make sure that you qualify for them. So it is difficult. Um, and I feel that a lot of the times for me, it's just in the community that I'm in and, and the the resources that, that are talked about. I love that, Jennifer. I mean, I'm doing that for entrepreneurs, like Latino entrepreneurs. Anytime I apply to a grant, I'll post it on Twitter. I'll post it on Instagram. 
I'll share it. Like yesterday, Ana Flores from We All Grow Latina posted about the Black Ambition um, kind of fellowship. And I didn't know I could apply because I thought it was like just for, you know, Black entrepreneurs. And so what I love to do is even if I don't qualify for a specific grant uh, for my business, I'll put it on a list on my blog just because I have a lot of friends and I also do mentorship for a lot of Afro-Latinas that are artists. So if it doesn't apply to me, it could definitely help someone else. But it is it is tough. It is tough to sort through all of those grants, all of those scholarships. And it's a full-time job. It's a full-time gig. And you're right. It's about the communities that we are in and we're surrounded by because, you know, every other day, like another entrepreneur will DM me a grant. And I'll DM them a grant right back. Like, so it's it's about who you know and it's about making sure that you maybe set up Google alerts whenever there's like a fellowship uh, mm. for the for the following year. I have um have like I don't know, I have like 20 million Google alerts for like Latina owned grants or Latina owned businesses. And it helps me so much because I find grants that I would have never found uh, on my own, just trawling Google or, you know, Instagram or any mm-hmm. other pages. So mm-hmm. I think it's really incredible and amazing that you're also telling us to, if you're in a program, if you're in a PhD program, go seek out resources, go ask people if there's someone in, in your institution that is in charge of like, you know, looking out and, and finding scholarships and fellowships for anybody that's in your program. So that's really cool. That's awesome. So thank you for that. Um, and my mm-hmm. next question is, um, what advice can you give Latinas who are considering pursuing higher education or are currently navigating academic spaces and they feel like they just don't belong? Follow Academic Latina. (laughs) (laughs) Follow Academic Latina, y'all, on Instagram. Yeah. Um, You know, I feel like one of my biggest recommendations is to... I mean, it just depends, right? Because even when you're in grad school, I feel like the outcome, the your end goal can be very different. Like for me, it's academia. I want to go into academia, right? I want to be a professor. And for other people, it's perhaps industry or you know, research specific. And so I think it just depends. But one of the things that I personally, for me going into the academic job market later have found is that it's really valuable to have to build networks that are going to be like me and you and just send you resources when something applies to you. And so I started volunteering as a mentor my first year of grad school. And I started talking about, um, you know, my experiences with these students. And I, and I mentored undergrads and I mentored incoming grad students as well through like the summer program that I myself was in coming into grad school. And, you know, being a mentor one, one year really opened the door to like the next year being offered that position again, right? Like, hey, Jennifer, you did this last year. What do you think of doing it again? The third year, the same thing. The fourth year, the same thing. So I've done it for a while now. And it's just been, you know, this like cycle, this like snowball effect of like, I got an experience. I worked with these people. They loved what I did and they want me again. And, you know, I think academia itself is, is very strong in like your CV, right? And building your CV and building your brand. And so that's the way that I've been able to do it. And out of these mentoring gigs, I've also gotten teaching opportunities. Um, so I'm teaching at my university now. And it was an opportunity that came about because the director of the program that I mentored for, she knew that this other director was looking for a, an instructor and was like, hey, you know what? I think Jennifer would be great. And then we had like a three-way meeting. 
And she was like, yeah, I think you'd be like amazing for the for the role. And so that's how I got a teaching job at my university. And, you know, my external, like my, my other teaching job as an adjunct faculty um, came about from my undergraduate mentor. Like he reached out to me, my department chair. Again, I worked in the department really closely in my undergrad, right? And so he found my Instagram and was like, I think what you're doing is amazing. Can you teach a class for my department on grad school prep and preparing our students for the grad school application? And I was like, absolutely. This is what I do for free on Instagram, you know, and get paid for it. Yes. Yes. Get those checks, Jennifer. Get those checks. Yes, I went for it. And it's been a really rewarding experience working with these students. Most of them are first gen and and a lot of them are are women. And it's just so, so nice to connect with them. And, you know, they, they, I tell them about my research and, and my research is like focused on the community, right? This online community. And so they'll follow the Instagram and we get to build a connection beyond just like being professor and student, you know, it's like, it's professor, it's mentor. It's like this Instagram person that you follow in and can see like all other aspects of their life. And so what I always recommend is just building these relationships with faculty, with program directors and, and, you know, mentoring and seeking these opportunities that will further develop your, your resume, your CV, and, and, you know, you'll get all these skills that you eventually need for the job market and and you'll be much better prepared i feel um because this isn't something that academia prepares us for um you know they're like hey you're gonna be a professor that's awesome let's do some research though <laughs> and i'm like wow how does that apply to teaching um so we have to like seek these these opportunities elsewhere and the training elsewhere and it's it's difficult sometimes it's challenging to to just get in the door but once you're in like that's it like you're good and it'll just keep going from there you know um, so yeah, I definitely recommend to like to start opening yourself to these opportunities and just let the network build from there on its own. Oh, that's I mean that's so many great points, so many to so many things to unpack there. Um, I agree with you 100%. Like the way I got my internships were through my mentor. The way I got you know all of my you know working at the print shop, working at the library, it's through mentors and peers, and I think. The more you put yourself out there, the more you're less scared of, oh, hey, like, you know, I, 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 need, I don't know how to, you know, network or I'm shy. Even if you're shy, I think networking could be just hanging out, having lunch. Like, it could be as simple as, hey, you know, let's do a study break together or something like that. Like, there's so many things that you could do to network and to build those relationships. And like you said, building your CV is so incredibly important. Um, I remember... When I graduated, I graduated in 2008, and that was like the middle of the recession. And because I had interned in New York and I have all this like work experience at the school, I was able to land my first job. Um, so I think it's super important. Like if you're in, you know, in a in any program and you can, you know, somehow navigate or find mentors like Jennifer, um, I think it's really important that you, you know, not only set yourself up with success by surrounding yourself with leaders and people that want to see you win um, instead of just, for me, at least going out and partying. Like I I did, I was like my freshman year in college, I'm not gonna lie, I was AKA party girl, I was at every single party. But as I, you know, as I grew into my junior and senior year, I took it very serious because my dad lost his job. You know, I was on my own. I couldn't, there was no no safety net of anything like I had to pay for my rent I had to pay for my food my brother is also in school and so it's like it's a lot of pressure so I just I love that you 
touched on making sure that you reach out to mentors, make sure that you reach out to other people, people that look like you, people that are Latinos, like there, even if it's a few, like community coming together as a community is so much stronger than you trying to do this on your own. And obviously follow Jennifer on Academic Latina. Like, what are you waiting for? Um, so let's uh, let's kind of like dive into like maybe some of those re- most rewarding experiences you had as a mentor and how those experiences have impacted you personally and professionally. Yeah. So when Academic Latina first started, um, there was a lot of mentorship went on the DMs, like so many DMs, so many questions, so many you know, so much knowledge being shared and something that I've I've gained from it is like these amazing, amazing friendships, right? And some of these friendships have been, you know, blessed with coming off online and, you know, we're offline friends now. And I feel like that has been like the most rewarding thing for me. And and it grew up it grew from like mentorship, right? I have specifically um I always think of these two girls. Um, they, one of them was the one that was like reaching out to me a lot. She was applying to uh, master's programs at the time. She just defended her thesis like last week. So she's like got her master's. I'm like, that is amazing. She accepted a PhD offer. I'm like, girl, yes. Um, and so we were, you know, in communication with her, with her process of, of applying to that master's program a couple years ago. And we just started like DMing a lot and, it was just, um, it got to a point where she was like, hey, like we should meet in person because she lived pretty close by to where I live. And we ended up meeting for dinner and we went to get my nose pierced. I had never gotten my nose pierced, but she had just gotten her nose pierced. And I was like, oh my God, it looks so cute. And she was like, do it. And I was like, what? <laughs> so we went, the first day that we met, we met at the piercing spot. Um, we did that. It was St. Patrick's Day. So after that, we went to get some drinks. Yes. Um, dinner and it was so it was so nice and I you know I've been to conferences where they live and I've stayed in their apartment their sisters and it's just been so rewarding to have that friendship and and we invite each other to like family parties and you know it's like this sisterhood that grew off of the mentorship that that was first you know and you know beyond that I feel like a lot of my students too who I mentor they they're so appreciative and I really like that's why I do it you know when when they're coming up to me and saying like you know asking me a question you could just see it in their face when they understand what you're saying and you know they, they can ask me like well what about like this letter of rec like how do I ask for it? do you think I should ask for it I only work with this person for like a month or something and I'm like well yeah but you're gonna pitch it in this way and you're gonna ask them in this sense, and you're gonna frame your email like this and this is what you should say and this is exactly what you're gonna make the points in your email and they're like oh okay and then they feel like so like relieved you know like yeah, they, 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 yeah, relieved. And then they start like believing in themselves more. And you can like, you could see that spark in them. And I'm like, I love it. Like, this is why I do what I do. Because I feel like all of my students have, you know, showed me that spark in them at one point. And I'm just like, my job here is done. Like, I did what I had to do. I've encouraged you. I've inspired you. You will go on to like do this with other people. And that is my goal, you know? And again, it's just, it's really rewarding. And especially I feel when, I, I, you know, these mentorships online, these relationships, these friendships online also develop into into friendships that are super supportive. And, you know, I post like all my challenges as well online and getting all these messages through text, through DMs and, and emails. And it's just like the immense amount of support and community on there. I, I just love it. I love that. I think that's so beautiful, um, especially when you walk somebody through something 
that you've been through, like asking for a letter of recommendation and, hey, this is how you spin it, how this is how you approach the person. Um, I think it's really beautiful to, I think that's what also my mentor, a lot of my mentors, uh, like Bill Donovan, that are like big fashion illustrators, that have told me like, share what you know with the next generation, because that's what's going to make it better for everyone. Like as, as much as I've seen in other, you know, maybe other industries or other, even other people that are not Latinos, like I've seen a lot of gatekeeping and I love that Mm -hmm. you don't do that. I love that you're not a gatekeeper. And I love that you're like, Hey, these are all my resources. Hey, this is how I did it. Hey, you know, it's okay to also post your failures online because we need to know what you're going through. Um, you know, for me, like the last three months of last year, just being sick and kind of like hiding in disguise because I just was scared to let let people know like, hey, guess what? I've had COVID three times. And so at the end of the day, you have to be vulnerable and you have to let people into your community. You have to let people understand what you're going through because you're a human being. <laughs> like we're not machines. And so there's so many things that happen in the in the background that people might not understand. And having a mentor like you and having people that truly believe in what you're doing is a game changer it's a complete game changer it gives you so much confidence and it allows you to be in spaces that maybe you would have never had access to so i think like i said everything that you've done especially with academic latina is beyond amazing beyond incredible and it's inspiring i've sent your account to so many of my friends that are pursuing phd programs the young cousins like people that have felt lost and then seeing your content they're like okay now i understand like how to do you know how to apply for the gres or how do i you know how do i you know approach you know getting funding like a lot of the things that you share like just even through like the the carousels instagram carousels like everything the reels like it's just super inspiring so my last question before we we uh wrap this up is can um, we talk about how do you think diversity and representation can be further advanced in higher education? What role do you see yourself playing in that effort? And what role do institutions, especially academic institutions, need to play in this effort in making um, you know, campuses more inclusive for Latinas? Um, maybe you could touch on I know, at least for me, being a daughter of immigrants, it was really hard to kind of translate all of the paperwork uh, for my parents. So maybe if you can dive into what you think could be improved in institutions in order for more Latinas to see themselves in higher education. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot. I I know. It is. And I've thought about this so much because it's, it's really the reason why I left my previous program, right? Because I, I felt like my research was going to be supported. I felt like there wasn't enough critical thinking. Like there wasn't a focus on the race, on the ethnicity, on the culture. Um, you know, like strengthening that and, and really valuing that for Latinos. And we're already like, it's already a challenging space. It's already a white space. And to come and to feel like you're not, like who you are is not accepted is extremely difficult. Um it's, you know, it's, it's challenging to, 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 to deal with that. And I think that for me, something that I've thought a lot 
about is the importance of having faculty who look like me. And I recognize that that's not always the case, right? We don't always have faculty of color in certain departments. And I think that one thing that I've noticed a lot with the classes that I'm teaching um, is the need for it. Because I share this on Instagram, right? I share that I teach this course on like grad school prep and so many DMs, so many comments of, I wish my university would have offered that for me. And I wish it would have been you teaching it. Like, I wish it would have been Latina. You know, because it's, it's. I think that when I, I'm teaching this class, it's not just, like I said, it's not the facts. It's the, here's how I navigate research conferences. Here's, here's what I wear to research conferences. And there's all this like hidden curriculum that even if you're in a formal course being taught on how to go to grad school, there's all these little minor things that don't get discussed, mm -hmm. you know? And I feel like for us Latinos, like it just comes natural to like offer those resources, to give those resources. And I think that universities should offer these type of courses. And so in my adjunct faculty position, it's it's department focused, right? It's department based, this course that I teach. But at my university here, it's a it's campus wide, like anybody can apply to it. I have students in forensic science. I have students in STEM. I have students in humanities and English and education, sociology. And so they're just coming, right, and and have all these questions. And I feel like while it's beneficial for me to be, you know, sharing this knowledge and sharing these resources, there's only so much I can offer my forensic students, you know? There's yeah. so much, only so much I can offer my STEM students. And I feel like we need more representation and we need more Latinas or Latinos teaching these courses mm -hmm. and being offered these positions. And sure, it's not the biggest paid job, it within here because I'm considered like a fellow I'm not like instructor on record I'm like considered like the TA who's like in charge of the class mm -hmm. which is so typical in academia let me tell you oh, oh but, my brother uh, my brother he taught me about his TA <laughs> his TA days so I I know I know yeah yeah so it's just you know that in itself needs help yeah but I feel like putting us in these positions where we can where we can have a you know, designated role where we offer these, these this guidance. I think that it's it's really beneficial and it's poor. And like, come on, I feel like even when academic institutions try to offer these resources, they're so like they're just so feeding into the white Eurocentric academia that it is. You know, and again, it's very bland. It's very here's X Y Z. Good, you have it. Do with this information as you will. As opposed to here's X Y Z. Let's talk about how to do it. Let's talk about how I did it. Let's talk about how you could do it. But then, how is your peer going to do it? How is your other student peer yeah. going to do it? Um, and so it's just that like connection and, and that mentorship that I feel is is really important for universities to implement with with Latinos directing it and Latinos being in charge of it because. Really, only I personally feel strongly that only we know what we need. And absolutely, you know, that's that's just how it is for me. No, 100%. I, I feel like on so many different levels because, you know, I also come, like I said, I went to a university that was mostly white. There was no, I, you know, there was a very, very small, tiny population of Latinos there. And so for me, like a lot of information had to be digested but I wish I would have had somebody there like hey I did it like this hey you should you know work on x y or z and this is how this is an example of how you can do it like you said Jennifer and so I think what you, like I said I think what you do is incredible and immensely helpful to so many and I could even like this is just me like just talking into the universe but I think I could see you even developing like an online class where 
you have the these similar FAQ questions that you answer and you could send it out to different universities or different colleges that way you could help more students because like you're only one person like you said um but we also need to hire more latinos and latinas in you know in academia in stem and every single field because the more of us that we are you know see ourselves represented in the world the easier it is for us to think that we can achieve those goals you know that we can be a professor or that we can you know uh, one day be a speaker at a conference so at the end of the day i think i just i'm super obsessed with everything that you're doing and i'm so immensely proud of you where you come from how you've never forgotten where you come from and how proud your family must feel mm -hmm. to have such a badass you know hija that is just killing it so i just want to say thank you so much for this you know interview um how can the community how can our community support you um uh, where can we find you online um and if there's anything else you would like to share before we wrap up yeah no thank you so much for having me i really appreciate it and i feel the love all the time from you and i am so immensely grateful for it um i yeah i mean academic latina on instagram um and there's etsy too right so we're talking about representation and etsy stickers are there for Latinas in, in different fields, I have Poncejera stickers, Terapeuta, you know, you know, I, I, I try my best to like have a, as many, you know, fields on there as possible and just build that representation through like also like merch occasionally. So find me on Etsy also as Academic Latina and, and I will continue to to post stuff on there and, and increase the representation as much as possible. Thank you so much, Jennifer, um, for having a, for having this moment with us. And I urge everybody to follow Jennifer Academic Latina. Make sure you check out her shop, like it, uh, add some of those beautiful stickers in your cards, send them to your amigas, and just know that she's doing the work. She's making sure that she paves the way for other Latinas to see themselves in academia. So Jennifer, te quiero mucho, te adoro, te mando un abrazo. Um, and this has been another episode of the Art of Representation. This was your host, Lucia Diaz. And you can follow me on Instagram at Hola Lucia Diaz. So, muchas gracias y chao. Gracias. Mil gracias for listening to this episode. Thank you, thank you for your support. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and also do me a huge favor. Send this episode to your amiga anybody that would enjoy listening to this specific episode and make sure to also leave a review that will help us get found by more amazing latinas como tú bueno recuerde tú eres capaz you are able to do anything that you set your mind to you're a badass and if you need a reminder make sure to slide into my dms it's hola lucia diaz in all platforms chao